So no doubt it's been a, a really dramatic week, Baza. And first things first, would you like to know the identity of H? Definitely not, Barry. Don't spoil my day. <laughs> when... Yeah, apologies to our overseas listeners, but Line of Duty is the uh, TV drama that's been gripping this nation. And of course, it was the big finale uh, last night. But Baza, you're a bit behind in, in the Line of Duty in terms of watching the episodes. So uh, where have well, you most got of my to? friends always say I'm, a, I'm always behind. <laughs> Well, I was, pl- I was playing nah, catch well, up with the widow, which is very was very good, and then okay. uh, and then so I've, I've got I'm getting to grips with Line of Duty, so I'm halfway through. But of course, as you do, you, you go on online in the morning, and and what was the first page I pulled up? They had up in the front, Line of Duty revealed. So I had to quickly scramble to find my, uh, my the mouse and cancel the page, which, which I eventually did. So I'm none the well wiser. Done. So you're still in. The- Still yeah. in the dark, are you? But it can't be easy because uh, I, I think you actually know and have played golf with the guy who created the series, Jed. Yeah, I've played golf with him quite a few times. Um, a member of the sort of stage society, which was originally set up, Baza, for uh, actors to keep them out of the pub. No, That's I not easy. Achieved in that. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was a few years ago. I was playing with him on a Monday. I said, oh, what are you, what are you off to do now? He says, oh, I'm just going off to write. Very quiet and unassuming um, is Jed. And obviously, Line of Duty was was what he was off to uh, to, to write about. But yeah, he, I don't think there's anything about golf in there, is there? Not yet. Um, well, no. no, if you go back in the earlier series, of course, there's the use of the phrase ah, the caddy. Yeah. So, yeah, you see, that's what you've got to do, Baz. You've got to, you've got to thoroughly research yeah. this. Anyway, we'll leave you in the dark for the moment about that. I guess we're all in the dark, though in terms of the tennis world and what next for the ATP and the, the player council after Gimmelstob's uh, decision to uh, resign his uh, post as a board director. It, it's thrown up a lot of other names into the mix. Um, a lot of ex-players putting their names forward at the likes of uh, Weller Evans, Brad Gilbert, Mark Knowles, Luke Jensen, Nicholas Lepentia, Tim Mayotte, another mm-hmm. one I've seen linked, uh, Nicholas Pereira, Mike Russell, and Danny Valverde, who's already on as a, as a coaching representative on, on the council. But um, that drama is really going to play out in Rome next week, isn't it? I think it's the 14th of May uh, at the Foro Italico where the votes will be decided on who they put forward as their replacement representative. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a difficult state of affairs. And, of course, now Roger Federer coming back to Clay, coming back in at Madrid, being asked about it, and as... Uh, said, well, perhaps Chris Kermode is back in the mix to stay on as the head. Yeah, I think that was likely to be a possibility. I heard those sort of rumours about a month ago, Barry, from a, from a fairly good source that that potentially could happen. Um, who knows what's, what, how the future will, will pan out for Chris. But I, I think in terms of Justin, I think everything that had happened in the last week and, and with him eventually resigning from the, from the board, I think was absolutely right. Um, and we discussed it quite a few months ago about the process, didn't we? And I'm just not comfortable that in a very important position, because it is an incredibly important position, we shouldn't forget that that the that Justin Gimmelstop, David Eggers and Alex Inglot, they, those three were responsible for removing Chris Commode, who is the CEO. But it's a five-minute interview process. So the 15 names will put their obviously put, put their case forward and then it will be whittled down. I think it's going to be whittled down to about four or five. And then they have a five-minute presentation to, to the player council to put across their sort of what, what they would like to bring 
to the ATP, um, which I, I don't think is anywhere near enough for such an important role. But I do feel, I mean, Tim Mayotte's touched on it, hasn't he? He's been, he's been very smart, I think, in, in positioning himself. He's sort of written a manifesto. Um, but he said, you know, maybe it should be a full-time position and shouldn't, you shouldn't have any um, conflict of interest, which to me would, would sound, I, th- I think, quite right, which would, you know, then maybe rule out the likes of a, of a, of a someone who is currently on tour as a coach, um, but is also trying to have a ball position. Yeah, it's been crying out for that. And, and this surely is the opportunity for for that sort of change in direction and, and restructuring of how, how they actually but operate. That, that, was, but, that was a good point, Barry, and that was but, always my issue with it, that you know, getting rid of Chris did not, did not solve the problems that, that we've got at the ATP, where you've got three players' representatives, three um, tournament representatives, and then if it's, if it's a deadlock, who has the casting vote? Chris. Well, that's not right to me, because then, then almost it's, it's a, it's a dictator, dictatorship leadership which Chris absolutely doesn't want so um, I, I think you absolutely need to restructure it and find a better way. Yeah and we don't know from him yet whether you know he wants to sort of be reconsidered to carry on um, there's no official comment coming from him out about this but maybe he'll decide well you know I've done my time I've done my bit actually having taken stock of the situation I'll move on it's something we, we'll find out in due course but uh, we're about to find out and Roger Federer is going to fare on the court in uh, in Madrid on clay again for the first time in what since 2016 uh, in Rome. So uh, a big decision for him. We knew it was coming, and now he is there about to get involved. And he must be looking at the draw and thinking, "Oh, thanks for this. I've got uh, in my my half of the draw: Djokovic, the returning Del Potro, and the informed Dominic team, amongst others." Uh, tough draw. For yeah, him, but uh, classic Federer really taking pressure off himself before before the tournament, and absolutely rightly so. He's I can just go out there and play my brand of tennis. And when Federer announced that he was going to play the clay court season, it was always likely that it was going to be Madrid above the other Masters events because he's able to play his attacking type of tennis in Madrid where it's altitude and it's a lot quicker. So I think for Federer, he will play very aggressive this week. Uh, and any, any wins that he has... Um, I think this is about building blocks for the grass. This is not, for me... This is not about him trying to get matches under his belt to have a great run at the French. This is about what I maybe went wrong last year, that he didn't have enough matches in between that Indian Wells period and then the grass. And maybe that that affected Federer when he played at Kevin Anderson because it was going swimmingly for Federer, wasn't it? Up two sets to love. But when he was pushed, he just wasn't able to find that extra gear, which has never really been the case for Federer. Rafa, meanwhile, is at the other end of the draw, of course, being the second seed. And fascinating for me that um, we now know already whom he's going to face because uh, one of the two matches, uh, first round matches played on the, the opening Sunday in Madrid uh, involved the two young Canadians. It was uh, Felix Ogier Aliazim against Denis Shapovalov. And Ogier Aliazim came out on top of that one in, in straight sets. So I, I don't think I was too surprised by that because uh, he's the better yeah, play court. Th- yeah, definitely. Already. And then Shapovalov played well last year, actually, in Madrid, didn't he? But uh, not to be yesterday. And for Rafa, he cancelled his press conference yesterday, Sunday. He pr- he's already cancelled his press conference Monday. Um, he's got a sort of a, an upset stomach. So hopefully that's not going to uh, halt Nadal in terms of him being able to to get his clay court season back on track. I'm not worried at the moment. I thought uh, Barcelona was an improvement on Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, he hadn't played since Indian Wells. 
and whenever whenever someone like Nadal doesn't win every clay court tournament, it's a crisis, isn't it? But does he need to win no, one before? No, Roland not at Garros? all. Um, no, Nadal doesn't need to. When you've won eleven French Opens, I don't think you need to. I felt coming into the clay court season, Dominic Team had to put down a marker, had to win a big event. He's done that. I also felt that Djokovic had to put down a marker. Um, so I think for, for Madrid, it's more it's absolutely more important for Djokovic to get back winning and getting that um, the edge back in his game, which I'm sure he will, um, because Indian Wales and Miami, as we've talked about Barry, haven't we, is always a difficult period for him now in his career because it doesn't lead um, to a Grand Slam. Monte Carlo was was a sort of a way of him getting his clay court shoes back on and get a feel for the clay. Um, but Madrid and Rome um, will, will be where he would... Uh, I think he needs to make at least one final in the next two weeks. Picking up on uh, somebody who played Zverev a couple of years ago and played that remarkable shot back behind him. You and I, I think, and I'm sure many people, if they haven't seen it already, you should definitely go and find it on the internet, on the, the Twitter sphere. is Cuevas' shot yesterday in that amazing match against uh, Sitsipas, which uh, Sitsipas came through to win his third career title in Estoril. But uh, what the Uruguayan conjures up, Barry, I mean, he's the, he's the highlight. It was of- remarkable, wasn't it? That... I think it eclipsed that shot he, did, he hit against Verov a couple of years ago. The running over his shoulder and hitting the reverse shot behind his back um, two years ago, I think yesterday was better. So he was going to hit a smash, let it let the ball bounce, and he's looking at the crowd, but he's able to hit a hot dog drop shot for a winner. <laughs> it, was, it was outstanding. I mean, yeah. the cheek of it, the audacity of it. And, and of course, it just thrilled the audience. But... Uh, Sitsipas um, stuck to the task. He did well to get that, get another title. And uh, obviously he is going to be playing a part in Madrid, but no Cuevas. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate just the way um, the tour is, works. That if you, he was a lucky loser in Estoril. And normally, if you, get a, if you are in the semifinals of a tour event, but you aren't high enough in ranking to be able to be in main draw or play qualifying because you can't play qualifying if you're, if you're in the tournament the week before. Then you get a special exempt, but you can't jump from a 250 to a 1,000. So, and with Estoril being a 250 event, so it means there's no Cuevas this week, which we won't see any more hot dogs, will we? What a shame. Well, maybe somebody else will conjure, conjure but good for, for City us. Pastor, but, um, I mean, he, he's had sort of a, a sticky last few weeks, which I think is totally understandable, given how well he started the year. But, uh, you know, as he said, it was important for me to to win my first title on clay. So that's now three titles in the last, what, six to eight months. It's, it's been some rise. And what a weekend for mm. Greek tennis in total, because not only does Sitsipas win, but uh, Maria Sakari wins her first title at the Morocco Open in Rabat. And uh, coming from a set down behind in the second set against Britain's Joe Conta, but comes through to win that one. And uh, I, I watched actually her finish to that match and indeed the Sitsipas match. And of course, they both fell flat on their backs in celebration afterwards. But uh, they can certainly share in the delights of uh, achieving success that they have this weekend. And and. Really, we've never seen Greek tennis anywhere near this level. First before. time um, two Greeks have won, haven't they, in, in a tournament in the, in the same weekend, um, men and women. So, yeah, remarkable. I mean, Sakari, that was a bit of a nail-biter, wasn't it? She might feel, well, a little bit of revenge after losing to Conta in the, in the Fed Cup in Bath. That was an epic match. And <laughs> this one was an epic match. It was, you know, um, Conta was, was in, in control, set and 4-2, and then wobbled. 
um, which you maybe it has been the Achilles heel for Conta now compared to when Joe was playing her best tennis a few years ago. Just just a little bit of sort of a few mental hurdles she's got to overcome, but it's a, got to be a bonus even in defeat to reach your your first clay court final um, from from someone who's never really had much pedigree on that surface. So, but yeah, for for Sakari, what's that now? The twentieth different winner in twenty one events in the women's tour. It's amazing. Kvitova the only one to to win uh, multiple titles this year. But of course, within twenty four hours. Both players mm. are back on court in Madrid. And it was Sakari first up. She was against Carla Suarez Navarro and she got beaten in straight sets. So uh, her, her time in Madrid hasn't lasted that long after the uh, celebrations in Morocco. But Conta last evening was uh, on court as well up against the American Alison Risk. And I was actually calling that match. And Conta really impressed me how, despite the long matches, you know, the matches she'd had through the, the previous few days, that she then makes the journey north up to Madrid from Rabat, comes on the court and came out so strongly and really impressed. And OK, perhaps a bit of a wobble midway through the first set. She was 4-1 up. Risk comes back to 4-all. But from there, Conta really stepped it up. And she has that game, obviously a powerful game, a big serve. She has the big forehand and she likes to be as aggressive as she can. And if she can control that, particularly at altitude on 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 the clay court, playing it almost like a hard court match, uh, she could do some damage. Yeah, playing at altitude can be the best thing, it can be the worst thing. If you are confident, playing at altitude it, it feels easy. But when you are a little twitchy, playing at altitude is rough because you just don't have the, the confidence. And as soon as you don't fully commit any shots playing at altitude, the ball just sails long. And then, of course, once you miss two or three or four or five or six, then, then you can really lose confidence very quickly. So uh, it's, it's strange, isn't it, how in many ways losing, losing in a final is almost better for you to come straight back the following week than actually win it because you've got the highs, haven't you? You touched on that. You've you got to be, a, to be a, a winner, to get a title, and then have 24 hours later have to start all over again is very, very difficult. So probably not surprising Sakari lost. Um, and I think for Conta, she's probably smarting actually after the day before. In many ways, her second round might be tougher now emotionally than the first round. And it's a huge second round because it's against none other than the French Open champion, Simona Hallett, the third seed in Madrid for the week. Conta has, of course, got a winning record against Halep. She's 3-2 uh, up. But when they played on clay in the Fed Cup uh, a couple of years back, uh, Halep uh, dismissed her fairly comfortably. You'd imagine that Halep will have too much about her on on the surface, would you not? Or can Conta cause the upset taking her on so early in the week? Well, looking at the women's draw, anyone can cause an upset. And Halep can have off days. Yeah, this is not, you know, Halep can be at times a little mentally suspect. Um, so I, I think for, for Conta, go out and, and, and be aggressive and try and play her brand of tennis. But, you know, Halep is, is a great clay quarter. Uh, and I, I don't see. At the moment, anything, um, you know, even though she's had sort of a bit of an up and down year, Halep, I think she's going to be there or thereabouts, certainly this week, next week. Um, if it's not this week, excuse me, then, then in Rome and certainly heading towards the French where she would love to defend her title. And of course, Petra Kvitova, the defending champion, up against Medenovic at the bottom of the draw and Naomi Osaka already beating uh, Dominika Do you think we should touch on the coach's uh, carousel? Of course, Ladanovic with Sasha Bejin and and Sloane Stephens with Sven Grunewald, who, of course, worked with 
Greg Rosetsky years ago and, and Maria Sharapova, he's also worked with. So he's back um, in, in the women's game. Daria Kazakina is struggling. Can't win a match. If, if I remember right, she had a rough off-season. I think she wasn't 100% fit for the start of, the, of 2019 and just hasn't been able to, to back up what she achieved last year. Um, I, I'm really surprised because I thought having, having watched her progress um, for the about two years before that, I, I wasn't surprised that she, she did as well in 2018, but real surprise if, you know, the, her form this year. But it's difficult as well when you're that type of player, isn't it, Barry, to, to get that f- confidence back quickly, you know, because she can't, she's not someone who relies on power. She relies on guile. She relies, I mean, she's such a smart, intelligent player. But at the moment, just devoid of, and, and she can't find her next win. Well, of course, last year she shone quite brightly at uh, Wimbledon. And perhaps we should turn our attention next, Barry, to uh, the Wimbledon Spring Press Conference, the traditional uh, deal they do um, at this time of the year. They did it in the past few days uh, at the All England Club, uh, made a lot of announcements, of course, uh, primarily um, the big reveal of uh, the completed number one court roof um, addition. Uh, that they've been working on for the last five years, a couple of years in the planning and three years, I think, in the building stage. Um, you are uh, well attached to Wimbledon. What do you make of uh, what they've done again in time and uh, within budget? Well, it's always the case whenever the All England Club do have building work, they have to make sure that they take down all the um, cranes in readiness for the championships. So, so they, st- you know, the last three years when, they, when they've been constructing the, the new court one, they start straight away after the championships and then sort of in the springtime, cranes have to come down, get it ready, and then um, cranes come back again for post, post the championships that year. So they always knew that it was a three-year time frame and you know, no surprise that they've been able to, to finish it on time. And it looks great, doesn't it? I think a great, a great addition to have, um, I think much needed as well to have two roofs at Wimbledon. And I like Court One. I've always liked Court One. I think it's unique. Um, I like the sort of the bowl shape to, to it. So yeah, I mean, who, who will be the first one to to play under the roof? Was it was it, was it Murray? Was Murray the first one centre court? Was I think it Murray he was. Vavrinka? He was. Yeah, I, I can't see Murray being back this year. Although they they did say, and rightly so, that they will keep a wild card for for Andy. Um, but I, I I just he didn't play last year, so. I don't see why he would, why he'd be playing this year, but who knows? Among the other things, they they uh, confirmed that uh, they're going to uh, bring the uh, starts forward so they can make a better use of the daylight available. They get on the outside courts to eleven a.m. Yeah. from uh, I think it was eleven thirty, yeah. wasn't it, from the last uh, couple of years or so? Um, no shot clock this year, but they are saying that may well come in in twenty twenty. But what they have also said, they're vehemently opposed to any form of coaching in a match. So whereas uh, some tournaments uh, and the slams, might, others might consider doing that or allowing that, it's not going to happen anytime soon at the Orient Club. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not that. a fan of it. Never have been. Nothing will change my, my opinion on it. Um, I think in the pro game, what I like about the sport is I think you should figure it out for yourself. And I, I think the best matches are the ones where players have to figure it out for themselves and the different emotions. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very pro that. Um, and also, uh, no surprise, increase in prize money as well, wasn't it? 11.8%, 38 million pot, 45,000 for first round. Uh, absolutely, I think that's the way, that's what it should be. 
Um, you, you, you work hard to get to the top 100. It's an incredibly tough journey. Um, your top 100, then you, you can almost set out your year. Um, that's you know, roughly around about, what, 180,000. I mean, you know, the, the Grand Slams, you know, some pay more, some pay less, but around about 180,000 for, for four slams. That, that helps map out the year, pay for your coach. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, sh- you should be rewarded. We talked to Philip Brook at the very start of our podcast series at the beginning of the year because he's going into and he's now obviously in the midst of his final year as chairman of, of the club. But he has obviously overseen what they describe as you know, a decade of investment and growth. I mean, it's amazing. The prize money fund mm. has trebled over the past yeah. decade. And of course, now with the addition of the, the golf course uh, to the other side of um, Church Road, that uh, they're going to treble the size of the overall estate. So just when they've you know, completed the whole number one change complex. Now, of course, the new master plan that they're going to devise for how they are going to uh, build on the land acquired um, over the other yeah, side. Yeah, and, and what the beauty of it, because they've, because they've tripled the size, it, it's, it's, it's a blank page. I mean, you know, they've got so many different options that they, that they can use. I mean, they, you know, Phil didn't he talked earlier this year about the, the possibility of you use it instead of everyone going from Southfield's tube that may be, be from Wimbledon Park tube, which is the next stop along the line, um, and then have that walkway through, through what would be now the golf course. Um, whether, they, you know, whether they move the road, whether they shut the road, um, church road, um, whether they build another court, which I'm not so sure is necessarily on the agenda. I think what definitely is on the agenda, what they'd like is have Wimbledon qualifying there. I think that would be, I mean, that's Phil's wish, isn't it? Um, To move it from Roehampton, which it is currently because Wimbledon is the only slam that doesn't have qualifying on site. Yeah, it would make much more sense to do that, wouldn't it, if they can. And obviously now they have the the land available on which to uh, add all those courts for qualifiers. Of course, with grass, you need uh, different courts to the ones for the main championship because Mm. of the wear and tear. But that will allow them to do it. And another thing that um, we talked to Phil about, um, challenged him on back in January, was um, the online ballot coming into force from from later this year, which uh, is a step surely in the right yeah, direction. Uh, generally, when the all England Club mention it, then you know that it's going to happen. <laughs> well, we started by talking about um, Line of Duty. I didn't give away the identity of H. Batter, but I'm going to give you a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Inspector Morse. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.